dinosaurs and a man. Two species separated by 65 million years of evolution. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of Fossil Thick. I'm Mike O'Sullivan and this show is all about looking at, analysing and reviewing paleofiction, fiction that includes prehistoric organisms. Since this is a pilot, I'll give you a quick introduction to myself. Uh, I am a trained paleontologist who has been into paleofiction for far too long. Uh, the thing that got me involved in the realm of paleontology was the Land Before Time movie, which I saw when I was a very, very young child. It was Jurassic Park, of course, that kicked off my interest into high gear. And like so many other people in the paleo realm, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I've got quite an interest in sci-fi, fantasy, comics, novels, stuff like that. So the idea for this podcast came about because while I've heard a lot of people over the years review different movies and TV and stuff like that, uh, which include dinosaurs or extinct mammals, it's all from what I would kind of call, and I mean this in the kindest way, amateur perspectives. I very, very rarely hear media produced by people in the actual paleontological field who talk about these topics, in part uh, because of the increasing subculture within paleontological circles of treating these things as a reflection of uncurrent paleontological trends. Kind of the big example would be Jurassic World, where a lot of the public really enjoyed it, and very public paleontologists tore it to shreds because the dinosaurs in it were not particularly accurate. As someone who really does look at these first as pieces of media, I really wanted to give my point of view and perspective on these different things that have engaged me over the years with a focus not just on what the media is or how good it is, but also how it represents animals in its fiction and what that says about the aims of the fiction. Is the medium trying to portray these animals as realistically as possibly, as fantastically as possibly? Why is it taking that approach? Why are they ignoring current science or why are they bringing in current science, etc, etc? And so we came to Fossil Fic, a name I picked mostly for the alliteration, I won't lie. I'm also lucky enough to have quite a bit of experience in podcasting as I've been involved in the field for... Ooh, 10 years now, uh, on various very, very, very specific nerdy uh, endeavors. So I feel uniquely capable in approaching paleofiction in this way. So, right now, this show does not have a set release schedule. It will come out when I have an episode finished. Hopefully, I'll get at least one a month. Um, I'd like to eventually get up to two or three a month. But that's really going to depend on what kind of audience engagement we've got, what particular piece of media I'm really engaged with at the moment, etc, etc. It's it's a work in progress, hence a pilot. So, the topic for this episode is Primal, the recent animation that aired on Adult Swim uh, in October. Five episodes of a ten-episode series focusing on a caveman and a T-Rex living in a fairly harsh world, uh, created by Gendy Tartakovsky. Now, if you're into animation, especially uh, shows from the glory days of Cartoon Network in the late 90s, early 2000s, Gendy Tartakovsky's name is going to be very, very familiar to you. He was a creator on shows like Dexter's Laboratory, um, most famously probably now, Samurai Jack, and he also was the director and, I believe, writer for the Hotel Transylvania movies. He's been in the field for decades now and has a very, very distinct style. Now, Samurai Jack came back recently for its final fifth season, which dialed up the adulthood, shall we say, considerably, with a lot more violence, a lot heavier themes, a little bit of female nudity, because, I don't know, and 
in my opinion, very much an upping of the raw artistic nature of the piece. Uh, possibly because of its increased emphasis on Jack as a traumatized individual in the show, it ended up being much more symbolic and weighty at times. And that's very important, because Primal is very much the spiritual successor to Samurai Jack, uh, taking heavy visuals, heavy artistic themes, very good use of soundtrack, and combining it with long protracted moments of silence, because none of the characters in Primal can speak. But before we get into that, I might as well give you an overview of the show. Uh, it tells the story of Spear, a caveman whose family is killed by rogue dinosaurs, and Fang, a Tyrannosaurus Rex whose family are killed by the same rogue dinosaurs. After having this shared tragedy, they come together and basically have to survive in this incredibly brutal and dangerous world. Over the five episodes that have aired, we see them both endure a great deal of hardships, not least trying to actually get on and live with each other. We see them struggle with finding food, finding shelter. We also see them struggling with trying not to be food, because this show is very much nature in red and tooth and claw. Now, in trailers, this show was very much defined by its intense visuals, its intense and very high level of violence. Uh, it pulls no punches. It takes full advantage of the fact it is animated and get, can get away with stuff you couldn't do if it was live action. There is extreme <laughs> levels of brutality beheadings, eviscerations, on-screen child deaths, uh, on-screen adult deaths. But the strength of Primal is, in my opinion, that it does not rely on these. It is those long protracted periods of silence, of build-up, of key visuals, and character development, because despite not saying a word, Spear and Fang have a lot of character. In fact, if it wasn't for the dynamic between the two of them, this show would not work. First of all, it's not a master and pet relationship, it's a partnership of equals. All the animals in this show are really up to pretty much human levels of intelligence. Fang is not a... a there's some dog-like elements to her, but very much she is a person as much as Spear is. But they're very different. Spear is sort of contemplative, he's emotional, he's very empathetic. Uh, he's capable of ridiculous levels of brutality because that's the world they live in. But he is very much the classic, more spiritual, close-to-nature type, who has a great deal of respect for the prey and the hunt and everything else. Um, he's also carrying a lot of PTSD uh, because of the especially brutal way his family dies in the opening five minutes of episode one. So Spear has a lot of trauma, which is referenced several times throughout the, the five episodes that have aired. Fang, on the other hand, is a lot more in the moment. Um, she loses her children. Uh, in a similar fight to the one that Spears' family died in, but she doesn't seem to carry a lot of it with her. However, she's very dominant, she's very controlling. She is used to being the biggest dog in the park, shall we say, and leads into, in my opinion, one of the best fights in the series. At the same time, Fang is loving, she's caring, she's considerate, and in one of my favourite moments, she shows she's highly, highly inventive. So playing these complementary but very much not the same personalities off each other creates this wonderful dynamic that highly invests you in these characters and therefore makes you constantly worried, even if you're in the middle way through a series, because these guys are living in an exceptionally violent world. Everything is trying to kill everything else because everything needs to eat and live. So Spear and Fang are constantly under threat, not by evil, but by nature. But as engaging as I actually find the overall simplistic story and, and the approach to characters, the things that really set it apart for me are the visuals and the sound design. The visuals are very much in the realm of Samurai Jack. Very heavy lines, a lot of long panning shots, very good use of shadows. 
and very dynamic, energetic fight scenes. And these fight scenes are very inventive, highly paced, never dull for a moment. Even though some of these episodes, there's only one or two fights in the whole thing, and those fights may last a minute and a half. The exception being episode four, which is by far the most action-packed of the of the run. Um, but I will say the the violence isn't gratuitous. Um, I saw someone say like, "Oh well, all adult animation uh, gets super violent," and it's just like not like this. This is violence that happens in life. This is exaggerated violence, but it is violence that happens in life. It is there to emphasize the fact kindness doesn't help you here. If something is trying to kill you, this is not one of the the series where the hero will hold off that killing blow because they're heroic. They don't have a moral quandary about killing things, so they kill things. The score on this series is excellent. It is one of the best I've seen in a long time. It's composed by Tyler Bates and Joanne Higginbotham. And it's emotive. It drives home the points of the character elements. Every feeling you have is dialed up to 11 by this really, really effective soundtrack. I really hope it comes out on disc or on uh, iTunes or something like that because I would buy it in a heartbeat. But the sound design also travels forwards into the noises the animals and the characters make. Uh, It's been described as pulpy. Uh, a pulp bit of fiction and very much in the animal noises I can see that like down to a T there's, much, there's a lot of traditionally pulp pulpy and gritty elements to this show uh, gritty in the true sense um, not gritty in the ooh are look at everyone get murdered sense or the Game of Thrones sense but in the you know dictionary definition of showing courage and resolve in your approach to things because they take risks and they challenge you as a viewer but the sound design in roars these are the roars you were hearing in Hanna-Barbera shows these are the ones you were hearing in any 80s cartoon that had an animal or a monster in it the roar Bruce the shark made in Jaws you know the one these are the sounds you were hearing in those Cartoon Network shows back in the 90s and early 2000s A lot of animal sound design has changed over the years. They still use stock sounds, but there seemed to be more of an emphasis on mixing up your own unique sound effects to give uh, your characters an audio identity. Here, they use these very classic pulpy sound effects, which gives it its identity. I think putting that pulpy element to the sound effects for the the animals was a very good decision because it pulls you into a different mindset. Um, I'm not listening for the classic roar of Fang. I'm listening for that sound I heard when I was four years old in some old Hanna-Barbera cartoon like Valley of the Dinosaurs. This guttural shriek, and I'm just like, oh, it's pulling me back. Now, I mentioned I was trying to add a unique spin to this, and that was the paleontological spin. Uh, I am a doctor of paleontology, and uh, I have learned a fair bit about it and zoology over the years. And one of the things I have seen complained about is that this is not a realistic show. And it very, very, very much is not a realistic show. It is fantasy. These animals are fantastical in the literal sense. Size is all over the place. Design is about aesthetic, not realism. Animals that could not have existed in the real world roam around like nothing else. I mean, a simple example would be Fang having this very ridiculously enlarged tooth on her right side. It's like a shark's fin sticking up out of her jaw. Or the horned tyrannosaurs, which are similar animals to Fang, except they've got really asymmetrical giant horns sticking out of their nose that make them look more dragonish than anything else. Then you've got snakes the size of trains. You've got saber-toothed wolves. You've got the classic raptors of these bald, sickle-toed things that, that all move in a gigantic pack. And Bat's about the same size as a Game of Thrones dragon halfway through the show. There's no realism here. There's no attempt to make these realistic animals. And on one level, it's very easy to say, as an animated series, this would have been much easier to make look more realistic. But the real emphasis on this being 
almost a Flash Gordon-esque alien world, not a representative of our own, really shows what they're aiming for. They are aiming for that pulp, gritty fantasy element of those old shows back in the day where Tarzan was swinging from the trees and ended up finding a pit full of dinosaurs and finding cities in the middle of nowhere with leopard people and stuff like that. The animals in this series do not represent real animals. They are frequently based off them. The mammoths, the T-Rex, they're the Cyndioceras, which is a kind of deer-like animal from the Cenozoic. Very distinct horns. It's the saber-toothed wolves that, like, I always love when fiction just goes like, we're going to take this animal and we're going to give it saber teeth, and that makes it an extinct organism. Um... Probably the most egregious example being poor old Scrat from uh, Ice Age. But it's just like the saber-toothed salmon, the saber... Like, I think I saw saber-toothed people in something once. But to get back on track, this show is a 1940s, 1960s piece of media done in the modern day. And in that way, I don't particularly care about the lack of realism. They're not trying for it. This is stylization. And it's done to the show's strength. And really, once you have a show where a caveman is riding a dinosaur i don't think realism is a a big thing to worry about now there's an interesting bit of realism and it was something that uh, tartakovsky said he was emphasizing was that this was supposed to be the end of fang's age and the dawning of spears and a very interesting low level blink and you'll miss it kind of thing is that there are almost no dinosaurs in this world. We have our opening thing with the T-Rexes, and we have our pack of raptors. Most of the antagonistic forces in this series are mammalian. In this world, the dinosaurs are retreating. They are falling back. They are on their way out. I won't lie. I'd like a bit more emphasis on dinosaurs going forward. Um, Throw in a couple of weird species would be fun. But if you want to have the shorthand for this is a world that is in transition, that is in a state of flux, it's a very simple, effective way of doing it. Anyway, in case you haven't been able to guess, I would highly, highly recommend you check out Primal. Uh, It is up on Adult Swim's uh, website if you have a membership there. And the second half of season one will be airing sometime in 2020. We don't have a date, but it has been confirmed that five more episodes are coming. So yeah, guys, please check out Primal if you got any kind of interest in excellent animation, cool fight scenes, great character development, cool soundtrack. And I suppose having an interest in dinosaurs doesn't hurt either. So guys, that was the pilot episode of Fossil Fig. I'd like to thank you for taking part and listening. I hope... I have convinced you to check out Primal. If you want to leave any feedback, uh, there is an email address. You can send it to fossilfic at gmail.com, where I welcome any comments, queries, criticisms, or suggestions for shows, books, movies, comics, anything you'd like for me to cover. You can find show notes over on a starter website called fossilfic.home.blog with timestamps and any interesting links relevant to the show. And sure, what the hell, if you could leave a like or a review or a star rating on whatever podcast medium you happen to be using, I'd really appreciate that too. So for episode two, we're going to stick in the silent and pulp realm because we are going to be talking about the first volume of what I consider to be the best dinosaur comic ever done, Age of Reptiles, Tribal Warfare. Till then, talk to y'all later.